walk through this as we always do, one verse at a time. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, to hear the word of God, he's standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Jesus is standing at the edge of the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Do you ever think about this with regards to fishermen? And I, I got to tell you, I did a little check And since I've been here with you, I have preached this scripture either from Luke or Matthew or Mark five times before. So I'm in trouble today. See, you've heard what I have to say about this. But hold on. Today I think you're going to hear something different. Do you ever think about the fact that fishermen have the right stuff to serve Jesus? Think about it for a minute. I'm not talking about going down to a boat dock and pitching in your line. I'm talking about expending what it takes to go out onto a sea and to fish. It takes courage to do that, to get in a boat like that. It also takes a lot of patience. And we know that because when Peter and James and John and their associates went out the night before to fish, they caught nothing. We know that from the story. It also takes a lot of determination because if you've ever fished, you know that you have plenty of nights where you take nothing. But it also takes a certain amount of faith and maybe even hope before faith that tomorrow night's going to be better than last night. Because I can tell you, and I think it's true for most of us here today, if I have fished all night and caught nothing, the next morning I am not going to be washing my nets to get them ready for the next night to go fishing. I'm going to go down to the marketplace and I'm going to sell those rascals and I am going to become a gardener or something else where I can do something other than be out on a boat in the middle of nowhere with all that courage, determination, and no fish. <laughs> but Peter and James and John, they're washing, their fi- they're washing their fish nets because they've got to go back out the next night. They're not going to quit. So here's Jesus. He sees these fishermen, and they're washing their nets. Peter's listening when he goes back out onto the water with Jesus. And I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself in the verses here. He's listening. I want you to think about this. Peter is listening to a carpenter who probably knows absolutely nothing about fishing. And he's doing nothing that makes sense. Because Jesus is about to say, let's go back out. And it's morning. They fished all night. No one fished in the day. And if you know the story well, you know that in in the middle of this story, Jesus is going to say, let's go out to the deep. Nobody fished in the deep. You fished all night, and you fished in the shallows. Peter is listening to a carpenter who knows nothing about what he's talking about. Or so Peter thinks. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, Jesus asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. You ever been a captive audience to something? This week, early in the week, I was watching the news and Nate called Janice on the phone. You ever been 
with somebody so long that you pretty much can look at each other and know what's being asked, and you can give a nod or a wink, and they know what you're answering and all that. But we haven't mastered that yet, and the story I'm about to tell you explains that. Nate calls, and he wants to know if Janice would take Emma on Saturday, yesterday, for a few hours. Well, Janice took the call, and she looks at me, and I kind of got just to what's going on, and she looked at me, and I just gave her a nod. Because obviously what she was asking me was, did I care if she watched Emma on Saturday, right? What I found out on Friday was, the night before Emma was to be watched, was that Janice was asking me if I would help her watch Emma on Saturday. And I had plans. And it's so cold out, you know, Saturday. It's terrible to take a two-year-old out now. She'll have her birthday party this coming Saturday. I think somebody else around here understands birthdays right now. But anyway, um, Janice would go to their house to watch her, and I would stay home and do what I had to do, right? That's, that's how I assumed with that look and that nod that that would take place. On Friday night when I explained that to my lovely wife, uh, between Friday night and Saturday morning, she determined that it'd be far better if Emma came to our house. <laughs> and so Emma came to our house. And as grandmas do, they played trains while I tried to do what I said I was going to do, and they baked cookies while I tried to do what I said I was going to do. But actually, the way that went was, Papa, will you get down here? with me on these trains and then when they baked their cookies it went like this I've got to get her cleaned up will you bake those cookies while I clean her up and the whole time I'm doing the slow burn right because I had things I wanted to do and she was supposed to be over there all that to say to you yesterday I was a captive <laughs> I was a captive it got so bad for me, and I love the little girl. I'm thinking about her. But anyway, <laughs> I love the little girl. Nate calls, and he rings my phone, and I pick it up. I say, hello. And he says, Dad, we were wondering if the two of you would mind keeping her a couple of more hours. We'd like to go out to eat. And I said, let me tell you something, Nate. I didn't live my life so I could raise your children. <laughs> I walk into the room with Janice and I say, "Hun, they want to know if we'll keep their kid another couple hours. They've dumped her off and here she is. She's our problem. I said, you talk to him. Well, she stayed a couple more hours. You aren't laughing. You have to know me well enough to know that she could stay the rest of her life, okay? I wasn't upset. This is all to torture my son. But I was a captive audience. And these gentlemen this day when they allowed Jesus to get into the boats, and it happened to be Peter's, and he asked him to put out a little bit from the land, and as Jesus uh, sat down and began to teach these people from the boat, what you don't realize is, is that Peter is now a captive audience. And when he finished speaking, Jesus said to Peter, put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. There's a very significant thing you have to see. If you go back to that last verse, you see that what Jesus said was that they would uh, put out a little from the land. But now in this verse, he said, put out into the deep. 
thrusting out into the shallow water is one thing, but suddenly Jesus has thrown Peter into the challenge of going deep fishing. But I would point out to you, just as a side note this morning, that if Peter had not listened to the first command and obeyed it to go into the shallows, he may not have ever made it to what was coming next in the deep. And Simon said, Master, we toiled all night. We took nothing, but at your word, I'll let down the nets. Now, you've got to have to stop and ask yourself one thing about that verse, which you see up there this morning. At your word, I will let down the nets. Do you ever think about what experience had Peter had to motivate him to listen to Jesus, to let down his nets at the wrong time of day in the wrong place for any fisherman to go fishing? It is not time to fish. It's daytime. It's not nighttime. It's the deep water. It's not the shallows. But Peter says at your word. In other words, you know, I can trust it. Now here's where you've got to listen close today. I told you it's not going to be a sermon I've ever preached before. Have you ever wondered to yourself or thought about something like this? You may not have used the same language, but you may have thought these thoughts in some way or another. What's the difference between blind faith and blind hope? I'll give that a minute to sink in. What is the difference between blind faith and blind hope? I'll give you what my understanding of that is. We all have a taste of blind hope, I think. It's what we want. It's what we hope for. We want the best. It's things like this. I hope the stock market doesn't crash. I hope I don't slip on that ice. You always want or you hope for the best. No one would say, gee, I hope I get COVID or gee, I hope I get cancer. You hope you never do, right? But there's no basis for that hope. You, you just hope that. You just naturally think you want the very best. And you hope that it works out that way. But blind faith, blind faith is a little bit different. That's blind hope. Blind faith, on the other hand, is a little not so different but the same. Blind faith has no basis. It has no history. Blind faith simply believes. Blind faith can't see the future, doesn't have a past. Blind faith simply believes in the moment. I'll give you an illustration of that. You remember Doubting Thomas? It's in this book, it's in, or rather it's in John. Doubting Thomas, in John 20, remember what he said? He said, the other disciples came and said, we've seen the Lord, he's risen and all that. And, and Thomas says, I won't believe unless I see him and put my hands into his side. But what Thomas is saying is, is I have no experience of what you've experienced and I am not going to put my faith in that and trust that unless I myself can experience that for myself. And then Jesus appears to him. And there's a single verse that really reveals the difference between blind hope and blind faith in that passage about Thomas. Because Jesus speaks and says these words to Thomas. Listen close. I'm going to stay with this for a few minutes because it's important. Jesus says to Thomas, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus says to Thomas, you believe because you've seen me alive. It's, it's not blind hope. It's not blind faith. It's just what's happening in the moment. 
But Jesus said something else there in John 20, 29. He said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those that will have some kind of a blind faith. They'll have absolutely no experience with Jesus whatsoever, but will come to faith. I'll come back to this a little later on. Peter was neither blind hope or blind faith. Peter had experience with Jesus. Before this event that we're talking about today, I'm in Luke 5, verses 1 to 11. If you just go to the few verses before Luke 5, the ending of Luke 4, you'll find something out about Peter. Peter had seen all of the miracles in Capernaum. We talked about that last week. I'm not going to delve into it any deeper in the interest of time. But Peter had been there to see those things. Peter watched Jesus cast out an unclean spirit. Peter had Jesus come to his own home because his mother-in-law was sick. Peter watched Jesus heal, according to the scripture, probably tens if not hundreds of people. And you know, here's the thing about when you read your Bible, the story we're reading today. And you, you can tell me I'm wrong. Don't jump up in the middle of the message to tell me. Tell me afterwards. <laughs> but you can tell me I'm wrong, but I think this is true. When we read our Bibles, we read with a belief that if Jesus is healing and the disciples are present, well, the disciples are big believers in Jesus, right? You'd be wrong. You'd be wrong. Because it's not right. Jesus comes and performs these miracles in Capernaum, particularly with Peter, according to Luke. By the way, you're going to say, well, but Matthew and Mark say, yeah, the story is there, but it's not the same story. Here in Luke, what Luke is telling us is that Peter has not yet come to a full faith in Jesus Christ. And he saw all that stuff that his Lord did. Well, actually, it wasn't his Lord at that point, was it? It was just this guy named Jesus he had experienced it all. And so, look at the verse again. At your word, I saw what you did with my mother-in-law. I saw what you did when you healed all those people. I saw what you did when you cast that demon out of that man. I saw all of that. So Peter has this basis, this groundwork that's been laid in his life to understand that if Jesus speaks, it might, ought to, it might ought to be something that should be considered. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come to help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they both began to sink. I'm just going to stop for a minute and say something to you which really isn't part of this message. I probably shouldn't say it, but I, I thought about it in getting this message ready that I want to say to you. Isn't it funny how people deal with success? Peter was successful now. I mean, he's fished all night, and he's caught nothing. Jesus enters the picture, and he's got fish. And you know what most people's tendency is to do? Most people's tendency is to say, I got it, I made it, it's all mine, there's none for you. And when that happens, what happens is your boat sinks. I want you to look at what Peter and James and John did. They invited their partners in the other boat 
not just James and John, the other people that were helping lift those nets and clean those nets and do all that work, you come over and help us. They shared in it. And church, in your personal life, in your church's life, you have to make a decision. And the decision is this. You are either going to be a reservoir for God's blessing. You are going to be a savings account for God's blessing. You are going to be a storage barn for God's blessing. Or you're going to be a conduit. And you're going to take what he's done for you and you're going to choose intentionally to say, I need to share this with other people. Are you with me? Do you see where I'm at? Peter says, get that other boat over here. Yeah, my boat's sinking, but look what we've caught. We need to pass the love around. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and he said, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I have a simple sentence for this and Last week I kept telling you I haven't started preaching yet. I haven't started preaching yet. It's 10.55. We'll get there. <laughs> I just have a simple sentence for this verse. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. He said, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. If you have a real experience of Christ's power in your life for yourself, it should always drive you to repentance. It should always drive you to see who he is and who you are. Peter said it this way, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, and the sons of Zebedee, they were sons of Zebedee with their, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Now, if you've ever read this passage before, you have, everybody here has, or you've heard it told in Sunday school, what we so easily assume is that for those people who were on the shore, remember how this started? Jesus steps into Peter's boat, says, take me out a little bit. The crowds are so great, I, I can't, and they'd take him out there. They did that for several reasons. The crowds were great, but also he could project, have a little bit of volume there with his voice. Take me out a little bit, and I'm going to preach to these folks. And that's exactly what he does. It says he sits down, and he began to preach to them. So we read that, and we so easily assume that the story is about that crowd, that the life-altering change that's going to take place is in that crowd up there on the seashore, that something is going to happen to them as they sat there and listened to what Jesus had to say. I mean, you, you've just listened to the greatest teacher of the day preach the best sermon uh, that you've ever heard from a boat. You listen to it, you watch it, Something's got to happen. And that's probably a good assumption, but I'm going to just suggest to you it may not be a right assumption. What if we're wrong? What if we're misleading ourselves into believing that the story's about the people on the shore? What if it's not about that crowd on the shore at all? What if, what if John wrote it down maybe for you and me instead of for them? Or what if Jesus preached that sermon knowing it was going to affect somebody on the boat more than it was going to affect the people on the shore? 
Because I'm going to guarantee you something that I have learned in those 37 years of preaching in local churches. In all likelihood, in all likelihood, not everyone was listening to Jesus. They had places to be and people to see. They were just like us. Had to go buy that piece of ground right there, but, but they may not necessarily been there for the same reason that the crowd was. If that thought's different for you this morning than what you expected, keep in mind they're just people like us. You know, I've preached in churches before. First little church I had, a little gentleman who was a sound, good, genuine Christian man. But when I stepped up to the pulpit, that man fell asleep like clockwork. I've preached in churches where two people sat and read the Canton Repository through the whole message. And if you'd have asked them what did he say, I guarantee you they wouldn't know. I have preached in churches before where when I stepped up to the pulpit, people stepped out into the hall. I have preached here where while I'm preaching, some of you were out in the hall or down in a corner and chatting about what you thought and how it needs to get fixed and you know it's so. But some in that crowd stopped and some didn't. Some stopped for just five minutes, then kept on going. Some came late and stopped and listened. Some arrived halfway through the message and left before it ended. I'm not sure that crowd was everything that we think they were I don't believe they were sitting on the edge of their seat waiting for the next word that Jesus had to say. Many of them probably didn't even know who he was and they couldn't give him more than three minutes of their time because that was going to affect their workday to the point that their family might not eat. It was that bad. But somebody there did have experience and somebody there was going to have to listen because Peter had been in Capernaum when Jesus did all those miracles. Peter has allowed Jesus to step into his boat. He went out to the shallow, and then he went out to the deep. And Peter, though I suspect, he continued to throw those nets and to pull them back in the whole time. I believe Peter heard every syllable. Did you ever go to church? And, and you, know, you know, if you were ever a kid or you had kids or you've been around kids in church, you'll see the kid that's sitting there who's old enough to be listening, and they got crayons, or they got an offering envelope, or they did whatever, and they're writing on the back of the thing, and their mom or the usher, oh, heaven forbid, you know, if that happens, hospitality, right? But somebody comes along and says, you, you need to listen here. The reason I have a problem with that is because I almost guarantee you the kid with the crayon, the kid with the offering envelope, and the pen writing on the back of it is probably listening more than most adults. Peter heard every word. But Peter was not yet committed to Jesus. He'd walked with Jesus. He'd seen what Jesus did. He'd fished all night. He knew what it was like to not know who Jesus was. He knew what it was like to live a life without catching any fish to not see anything great for the results of a lifetime of fishing. And he experienced in a microcosm what it was like to fish all night. 
and to not even bring up a minnow. But on this day, Peter's held captive. Jesus is in his boat. And as he threw that net and pulled it back in, I think Peter was paying attention. He was going on with his life, yes. Doing all that he'd ever done, yes. But he was a captive audience. And as he listened, I think he learned. And as he lived, I think he learned. And as he learned, he experienced new things. Things like, huh, Jesus just cast that sermon out of that guy. That's kind of interesting. This guy took care of my mother-in-law. Well, you look at what he's doing here. That guy was blind. That guy couldn't walk. That guy couldn't see what's going on in my world right now. But on this day, in his boat, as he listened, as he paid attention, guess what happened? The nets that had spent 12 hours being empty were now overflowing. And when Peter experienced that, remember what he said? Depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. He had an experience that moved him to repent, to not only acknowledge who he was, but hear what he said on the end of that phrase. Depart from me, I'm a sinful man, Lord. To not only acknowledge who he was, did you catch what happened there? I hope you're catching this. Depart from me, I'm a sinful man. But that single word on the end of that, you've got to catch that. Scripture tells us that not only Peter, but the other disciples were astonished at what had happened. Peter acknowledges his own sin, but he calls Jesus Lord. And that's going to bring me to my bottom line. I think our lives can either hold us hostage or hold our attention. Stay with me for a minute. Do you ever think about this? Peter had a front row seat to Jesus. We don't. Many years ago, when the old Pittsburgh Steelers Stadium was standing, um, you know, that is Mecca, right? My wife and I went over there after church on a Sunday. We were much younger. Must, must have been just before we had Ariel. On a whim, we went over there to see the Steelers play the New York Jets. Didn't have a ticket. And we get a scalper, right? And, and I'm scared to death because I'm the preacher at the Midvale Church. And, you know, I've got to hold this image for them that I'm a good person. Here I am scalping tickets out on the streets of Pittsburgh, Right? And this guy comes up to me, and suddenly I could see that he was an undercover cop. You know, I'm going to jail now. So he's trying to sell me two tickets. And I'm like, well, how do I know those tickets are real? And he says, are you kidding me? I said, no, I want to know tickets. Show them to me. He showed them to me. I don't believe you. And he says, I don't believe you. And at the time, every seat in Pittsburgh Stadium was $25. Now, if you know anything, scalpers are going to make a few bucks, right? And it's getting close to kickoff. As a matter of fact, as we're having this conversation, we heard him singing the national anthem. But anyway, I'm going back and forth. Finally, Janice looks at me, and she says, I don't believe you. <laughs> I said, well, I'm, I'm, you know, how do I know? And there's this family walking by, and I said to them, can I see your tickets? And they're like, oh, you know, stay away from us. He starts telling me how good these tickets are. These are right behind the team. They're down in the front row. You can see everything that's going on right there and on the field. You're going to love it. Yeah, right. Who's going to sell those to me? 
I dished out exactly what those tickets were worth, $25 a piece. We walked in that stadium. You know, we were right down in the front row. (laughs) We were right behind the team. We were watching everything that happened. Peter had lived his life up up in the high seats. He had no idea about Jesus. And one day this Jesus comes to the house and says, you want to go to Capernaum with me? Sure, I'll go to Capernaum with you. It's you know, a few hours till we go have to fish. I'll go with you. He travels along with Jesus. And Jesus heals his mother-in-law, raises her up. He heals all these people. He does all this stuff. And suddenly Peter is moved from the peanut seats. Are you with me? At least halfway down the stadium. But on this day, Peter's brought down to the front row. Peter had failed as a fisherman, not just that night, many nights. Peter had his own personality as a person. Peter had family and friends that were unique to him. And Peter had suddenly had this experience of Jesus' miracles in Capernaum. Stay with me, because I think what I want you to see is that that's where God laid the groundwork. That's where God laid down the foundation for what was going to happen out there in the Sea of Galilee. All of that played into making Peter the person he was as he set out from the shore that day to take Jesus just into the shallows. And what I want you to see is that it wasn't in that boat that God had Peter's attention. It was throughout Peter's life. Peter just didn't know it. Man, I, I, I've got this life where I've got to go out and work like a dog all night, and then I wake up, and I mean, I get up and I clean the nets, and I go back out when I wake up the next time, and this is not much of a life, but it's the life I know. And now he's got a wife and his mother-in-law, you know, in this circumstance, and, and God's dealing with Peter, and suddenly, along the way, Peter, first he sees Peter ca- or Jesus cast this demon out, you know? He says, huh. Then God starts fiddling a little bit closer to home. His mother-in-law. And then he does all this other stuff. God had Peter's attention, whether Peter knew it or not. And you and I are the same way as Peter, church. We have a seat. We've got our own boat. We've got our own lives. You've got your families, you've got your work or the work you once had, you've got the circumstances you live in, and in all of that, I believe God's doing something. And it's not always seemingly good. You've got to really grasp the hold of the book of Romans to understand how Jesus works in our life. All things work together for the good to them that love God and are called according to his purposes. I've tried to ration, rationalize in my head recently why my older brother, who happens to be about six years older than me, took a certain path in life and why I took the path I took, raised in the same house. Doesn't matter you're raised in the same house, Joel. You had different experiences in life. 
Why, why did this brother go this way and this brother went this way? It's because you were raised in different circumstances. Certain influences, different matters happen. You watch dad this way get sick and die. You watch dad this way. You did it from age 6 to age 12. He did it from age 12 to age 18. Actually, from age 14 to age 20, I think. But my point is, all those relationships and all those circumstances were different. And that's how it is for us, isn't it? We are not carbon copies. You have gone through trials in your life that I have never gone through, and I've probably gone through a few that you haven't, and you have had joys and happiness that I will never experience, and I've had a few that you haven't experienced because we're unique people. But in all of those ups and downs and those joys and those storms and those clouds and all the things that happen to us, God's knocking on the door. We just don't know it. One day God says, can I sit down in your boat just long enough to take a little walk with you? And at that point, you have to realize that really God has never chosen to hold you hostage. But he has really been trying to get your attention. One day you'll look back and you will say, how did I miss that? How did I fail to see when this happened? Or you will look back and you will say, you know, now that I am right here, I can see where God was working right there. And it all makes sense now. That's when you're in the boat. And hopefully that's when you've pulled up the net. And God's revealed himself in a spectacular way to the point that you have to reach a point of saying, I'm not worthy, Lord. I understand that I am a sinful person, Lord. So let me ask you something. Has God been trying to hold your attention? Has he been trying to get you to a place? You may have thought, well, you know, God does that for all those people on the shore. He doesn't do that with me. I'm the guy who has the boat. I will, I will help to facilitate this. Sure, I'll go to church. I'll serve in some way. I'll help to facilitate a good thing. But I'm really not going to let God get close enough to let it be about me because, you know, it's for all those other folks. It's for the people across the street. It's for the people out there. It's for the people down there or whatever. Meanwhile, we never go across the street or over there or up there, whatever it may be. And then one day we have to stare down the fact that God does want to get across the street and over there and up there and all those places, but he first wants to deal with you in your boat. And he's been knocking on the door for days and weeks and months and years and decades. And he's pulled that net up for you several times and there's been an abundance. And there's been other times when he's tested you and you pulled that net up and it was empty. But all things work together for the good to those that love God and are called according to his purposes. He's been trying to get our attention. And on this day, Peter had enough sense to realize it. Let me ask you something probably be an insult to say to you, do you have enough sense to realize it? But I'll ask the question because I'm usually insulting anyhow. Do you have enough sense to hear God when he's knocking on your door? Do you have enough sense 
to open it and say, come on in. Because when you do that, when you open the door and you say, yeah, Lord, you can sit in my boat here for a while because I've seen what you've done and I'm curious to see what you'll do next. And, and I'll travel out just a little bit with you and we'll see what happens. I, I believe that's the first step before God takes you to the deep. It doesn't mean that in the deep you're going to catch the big load of fish. It may be in the deep you're going to drown. But by the time you get to the deep, you will have met him and known him well enough to know that no matter what happens, and no matter how that net pans out, you can trust him either way. If you are here this morning, if you're watching online, and you've never gone to the shallows with Jesus, I can guarantee you he's been trying to hold your attention for a long time. He didn't create you not to. He created you to have relationship. He created you so you could know him and he could know you. He wants to listen to you. He wants to hear you. He wants to rejoice with you. He wants to hear what, he, what you have to say. But he also wants you to listen to him. So he patiently waits. He waits in the good and the bad. He waits. Will you look? Will you open that door and say, I'm willing to go this far? And if you go that far, I want to tell you something. You'll be shocked at what he does next. Good or bad, he will use it for his glory, for his honor, and ultimately for your good. Amen. We're going to sing a final song today.